know this, but I'll, I'll share it again. I, I grew up in the church in the best of ways. I heard from the time I was little and the reason remember of God's love and mercy in Jesus Christ that I did not deserve his love. But for some reason, as I grew into a teenager and a college student, without realizing it, I, I can't even go back. It wasn't a conscious thing, but what realizing it came to leave maintaining a relationship with God somehow with grace, again, by which I mean an undeserved love and forgiveness that comes because of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. But after receiving that grace, relationship God would maintain by works. It would have up through good behavior. What meant this? And I came to resent friends who weren't as worried about theirs. So I went through school and they closed a community college. I sat down with an advisor. He was still in line. I got my schedule. Why? Grabbed my schedule. And class is canceled. And so I go back out to the parking lot to go to my vehicle, and I see his vehicle, and I see that he's there. And as I walk up, I realize he's putting a dip in his mouth. And when he sees me, he's like, oh, no. And I believed that it was my job to embody the wrath of God toward tobacco in that moment. You would not have wanted to be my friend. You would not. This is how bad it was. But I can go back to those moments in my life and tell you it was never a really satisfying way to live in relationship with God or with others to feel like that was my job. Relationship with God became more about competition than relationship. Being better, doing better. And people became projects. I don't remember how this happened. Now looking back, I think it was God's kindness that it caused this to happen. I came across a book at just the right time in my life while I was in the middle of college. Other than the Bible, this book has shaped or shifted my life more than any other book. And it's not that it was that remarkable of a book so much as it hit me at just the right time. The name of the book is The Ragamuffin Gospel. Have any of you heard of that book? Yeah. So this book conveyed God's grace, his undeserved grace, in a way that I had just never, it never hit me before. It's not to say that it was never said to me. I just had never heard it. It had never lodged itself within my soul. So Brennan Manning, the author, had been an alcoholic, raging alcoholic. He had made a mess of his life. And to be honest, when he died several years ago, he was mired in controversy again, thankfully, God uses broken vessels, right? A favorite line from the book uh, that I've uh, memorized for 20 years now is when Manning says, Aristotle says I'm a rational animal. I say I'm an angel with an incredible capacity for beer. <laughs> Manning had had to experience grace, lots of forgiveness. What I needed was to see that my relationship with God did not just start with grace. Grace was the only way that it could continue. Grace was the beginning, the middle, and it would have to be the end. <laughs> All 
goal of my life, if I was to live in relationship with God, had to be grace. And the difficulty, I think not just for me, but I, would, I think for you too, for every human being, is that the only way any of us are to fully receive the grace of God is if we are willing, like the Apostle Paul, to see ourselves as the worst of sinners. You see, the way that Paul came to this realization that he was the foremost of sinners was not just by looking around him, comparing himself to everybody else in the world and saying, no, no, I'm definitely the worst. No, that wasn't, it, it was looking at God and himself and saying, I'm the worst. And I am an example that anyone else can come to be in relationship with God. If God is patient with me, then he can be patient with anyone. If I'm comparing myself to you, then I'm not living in the grace of God myself. And if you are comparing yourself to others, then neither are you living in God's grace toward your life and all the brokenness that you experience in your life. Only when you are able to look at God and see yourself clearly can you receive God's grace in all its fullness, in all that it has to offer. The work of a human being through all of their life, I believe, is to receive God's grace at the deeper and deeper levels that you have throughout all your life to need to receive it. You see, it, when you live long enough, you, you realize, and not that I've lived as long as everyone here, but you realize how much you need it, how broken you are. All of us are. So this is what's happening in our gospel story today that Travis read for us. The tax collectors and sinners know themselves to be the worst of sinners. <laughs> they know that they're hopeless, and in their hopelessness, they're drawn to Jesus. They, but the religious leaders, they are upset because Jesus is too free with his offer of forgiveness. He is too free with his invitation to people to come into God's kingdom, into his Father's kingdom. Now, the stories that Jesus tells about the lost sheep and the lost coin are powerful for a lot of reasons. But one reason they're powerful is because they make little to no economic sense. So, Going to rescue one sheep while leaving 99 unprotected and therefore risking the loss of more sheep, would most shepherds do this? Returning home with that lost sheep to throw a party for one's friends and neighbors, a party that could actually cost more than the value of that lost sheep. <laughs> really? Is every shepherd going to do this? Similarly, finding one lost coin only to then throw a celebration that probably will cost the woman more than the value of the one coin. This doesn't make a lot of sense, and that is part of the point. Part of the point of these stories is that when it comes to God's search for the lost, normal rules do not apply. 
God is willing to lay it all on the line. He doesn't always count the costs, what it will take him to come after you in your lostness. He wants the loss so much that he will leave the flock of 99 to retrieve the one, and all of heaven will celebrate when the one is found. See, part of the point that Jesus is making is that there are these people nearby who think they are not lost, and they're grumbling over Jesus' willingness to go pursue the lost. But Jesus is saying, heaven is rejoicing. Why are you not rejoicing? God doesn't lose track of names in a crowd. He knows everyone. All of you matter to God. And heaven rejoices when you come before God and acknowledge your need for his mercy, his grace. Another powerful part of the story that I just hinted at is the irony in it. It's what's not said. So Jesus describes the meaning of the story in this way. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. And Jesus is saying this for the benefit of the religious leaders. It's an irony that's going to be lost on them. The irony is no one can be with Jesus without repentance. It's not as if those 99 never needed repentance. The only way to be with Jesus is if you know you've been lost and you needed him to find you. Sin causes everyone to be lost. There are the more obvious forms of lostness, of course. There are tax collectors and sinners of the world. Some of us can identify with them at points in our lives. This is David in Psalm 51. He's committed adultery and murder. He's saying, deliver me from bloodshed, O God. And he means literally. These people know that something is awry in their lives. Things are broken. You know, sin is actually a relational word. It means that the most fundamental relationship in your life, the relationship with your creator, is broken. And that that uh, brokenness spreads into every relationship in your life. And you may know what it's like to be lost in this way, again, to have wandered away from God and from the ways of God. But there are also less obvious forms of lostness like self-righteousness. Your sense of yourself is built on comparison to others. You always come out ahead on being at least as good or better than them. Now, this form of lostness, can, it can be the most dangerous kind of lostness because it's built on a religious foundation. The problem is that we use faith to serve our own ends, not God's ends, to make sure that we're okay, but not asking what God really wants of us or what others need. The bottom line is that whether it's obvious or not obvious, these are both forms of lostness. 
Sin is the real, relation, the real situation of all human beings before God, whether they know it or not. I didn't know that I was being self-righteous. And that was a very deceiving way to live. And the problem is that we don't simply need moral improvement in order to be rescued from our lostness. Sin, it is the brokenness that is at the foundation of our lives. It's not just actions misbehaving sometimes. It is a power that can rule in our lives. And again, many of us have experienced this. A sense of hopelessness because we felt like we could not resist the power of sin in our lives. Whether it was jealousy, lust, anger, whatever it may be. We need healing. We need salvation. And this is what Jesus comes to give. So Paul says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is why Jesus came. This is why God in the flesh came to earth to save sinners. Notice within the stories that Jesus tells that neither the sheep nor the coin do anything to help themselves become found. They don't, do they? Your own relationship with God, if it is to exist at all, it has to begin, continue, and end with God finding you, with you being found by God, with his grace acting in your life, with you experiencing his grace deeper and deeper in your soul, with him forgiving you. First Peter says that, Jesus himself carried up our sins in his body to the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but you have now returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Do you see yourself in the way that Paul describes as the worst of sinners? And that does not mean that you have to wallow in your sin and beat yourself up for how bad you are. That's not it. It means that you live your life before the sight of God. And when you live before God, you recognize your constant need for his mercy in your life. So that you can remain sane and so that you can live in, in relationship with him and others in a good way. One of the great doctrines of the church that Christian, is that Christians are at the same time sinners and saints. It's a beautiful, mysterious doctrine and thing to believe. We are at the same time sinners and saints. What that means is there is still weakness inside of us. We fail and at the same time, God, because of Jesus, has extended his love and his own perfection righteousness to us. He cleanses us and he makes us into new cre a new creation. And he is reforming us into his image. 
It's not a, an excuse to go on living as we wish. That's not what the church has, is saying with that doctrine. No, it's saying that, yes, while we still feel brokenness inside of us, God has at the same time made us into holy people, saints in his image. Now, here's the other beautiful part of these stories. As a community of people who know that we've been lost and that God has found us, we are called to be people who pursue the lost. That is the purpose of the church. We, knowing that we have been foremost of sinners, are called to proclaim like Paul that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And if he has been patient with us, he will also be patient with you and whoever else in the world needs to be healed and to be saved. So we're to be like Moses. Moses, in the story of Exodus, hears that the people have become like sheep who have strayed far away from God. And God says, Moses, I'm telling you, these are a stiff-necked people. You don't want anything to do with them. And part of what God is doing in this story is raising up Moses as a man who will defend his people. And so Moses prays, God, spare them. Show them your mercy. He appeals on behalf of God's love. And this is what God calls his people to do on behalf of the world. Lord, will you look on those who need your love and will you draw them to yourself? Church of the Lamb is to be a community that intercedes on behalf of the world, that doesn't just look on the world in judgment, but looks on the world like Jesus in compassion and prays that God will have mercy and will draw the lost to himself, just like he did with us. Now, part of seeking the lost we have to be careful. It does not mean that we go pursue people and wrestle them down and drag them to God. No. It means we patiently pursue them like God has pursued us. He's patient with us, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. Are you pursuing the lost as God has pursued you? Are you being patient with the lost as God has been patient with you? I want to close by saying that this is really important to who we are to be as a church. Sheep should not simply wander off without being pursued. This isn't to say that people can never leave Church of the Lamb. That would make us into a cult or a prison, and we're not either of those. But if we are to be a family, which this is what God has called his church to be, then we must try to care in some way for people when they come and even when they leave. This is the kind of family that the church is called to be. Now, I find that many of us have a very complicated relationship with sin and with grace. I find that many of us, when sin becomes overwhelming to us, we tend to despair. And then when we can despair no longer, 
We do what I think our world is tending to do right now, and we try to say that sin is no longer sin, and it doesn't matter. And neither despairing or denying are helpful to us when what we really need is the compassion and love of a shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep to bring us back from our lostness and to show us how to be what we're made to be. And so Jesus invites you If you're a sheep that has been in relationship with God, but you're not experiencing his grace at the depths of your life, he invites you, come closer and experience his love in all the ways that you are broken in your life. He loves you at every level. And even in your brokenness, all he wants to do is care for you and heal you. Don't be afraid for him to see it. And for others to see it, he wants to heal you. And if you don't know God, you've wanted nothing to do with him, know that Jesus wants something to do with you. And he's willing to go to great lengths to have that relationship with you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.